Hebrews. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thinking about the word of God as living and active is a great start as we read this passage. Yet before we read very far, just a verse or two, then it turns and begins to talk about this same word of God as a two-edged sword that's cutting and slicing and piercing and separating things. It says so much so that we are laid bare or naked before Christ. It's an image of being exposed to one who knows everything about us. It says, before this one, we must render an account. Now, our Bible scholars tell us there's a word play here with the Greek word logos. That when it says word of God, it's using this logos. But then in the part that I read that says render an account, the Bible scholars say it's the same word, logos. So it's a clever way to contrast for us what we might say or what our word or account might be about our life and what the Word of God says. It's a way to ask us to think about how we might render an account about how we have lived or are living, but not only our version, but our version compared with the version of God the Word of God. So it's not just how you tell the story. It's how does your word or account compare to the Word of God. Dr. John Burgess is a systematic theologian at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. He writes about this passage. I love the things he had to say in the commentary I read of his this week. I want to read you a couple of sentences from what he wrote. He says, the word of God is not an extra revelation beyond what we know in Jesus. The word of God is not a mysterious, overwhelming power that operates outside of what God does in Christ. Where God speaks, Christ is present, who has entered fully into our human condition, yet without sin. The God who places us under judgment 
is the very God who loves us and sympathizes with us in every respect. What do you think about when you think about judgment? When you think about standing before God and having to render a word or render an account, so many of us conjure up an image of an angry God ready to condemn. But this author from Hebrews gives us a very different picture of what it means to experience judgment as Christ revealed it in his life. This author, as I told you when we were getting ready to start this series, is just full of images for Christ. We had ten in four verses a week ago, seven today. He begins by talking about Christ as Word of God, living and active, and then talks about this Christ, this Word, being the judge. The implication is that the judge is always present and on all-knowing. Then it goes on to use that image of high priest and then son of God and then one who's without sin and then in the very last verse the one who offers us mercy and grace the good news here is that the one who's to be our judge is also the one that offers mercy and grace when we are in need Verse 16, let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is not an image of a God who wants to beat us down or make us feel bad. This is an image of a God who's going to lift us up when we're most in need who's going to offer us mercy and grace if we all but approach. We approach boldly. That's the suggestion. We should approach boldly, not because we are so great, but because we understand the nature of God is one of divine love and mercy and is here to help us anytime. author of Hebrews sees Jesus Christ as opening a new way, opening a new door for humans to experience the divine love and grace available to us all. The Gospels are full of stories about judgment coming with mercy and grace. What I thought of first when I was reading through this passage comes from Luke 19. It's the story of Zacchaeus. You might remember it. The scriptures tell us he was a wee little man. No, that's the song. Wee little man. The scriptures say short of stature. But he heard Jesus was coming to Jericho, and he had heard about this Jesus, so he climbed up a tree so he'd be able to see over the crowds. When I got to go to Jericho a few years ago, we drove by the center town square. They said, see there, a sycamore tree. That tree's 2,000 years old. That could be the tree Zacchaeus was in. I don't know if it's the one, but I have a visual now. 
of what it would have been like for Jesus and a crowd to walk by and to have this man looking down on the square from the tree. Oh, Jesus sees him up there and calls him out and says, let's go to your house for dinner. Now, the text says that those who are watching are astounded. They begin to complain that Jesus is going home with this rotten fellow that's ripped us off financially. He's a tax collector. He's a sinner. How could this be? But the story tells us that Zacchaeus is changed by this encounter with Jesus. He recognizes what he's done wrong, and he says, I will repay anyone four times what I might have taken, and I will give half of all I have for the good of others or for the welfare of the poor. Zacchaeus on his own was a taker, but once he encounters Christ, he is a giver and is ready to give out of his own substance for the good, for the help, or for the needs of others. It's a story of judgment, but filled with mercy and grace. Over in the Gospel of John, there's that story of Jesus. Again, he's traveling this day. He's in Samaria. He runs into a woman at noon at the well. Not a common time for her to be there, suggesting she's an outcast. They begin to have a discussion about water. He offers her living water. She says, I want this water. But she's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. They don't always agree on these ideas of where and how to worship. But they come to an understanding that they can both worship together in spirit and truth. She says she wants the water. Then she heads back to town to the very people who have cast her out, most likely, to tell them that she's met a man that's changed her life, one that knew all about her. She decides he must be a prophet. They all decide, finally, he must be the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. She is changed forever. Oh, she's judged in the discussion. Jesus says, how about you go tell your husband? She says, I don't have a husband. He says, I know. The story tells us she's had four or five, and the person she's living with is not even her husband. And yet she's a person who experiences divine love and mercy and grace through her encounter with Christ. Or over in John 8, I thought of this story. These men somehow catch a woman in adultery. Now, how did they know? I wonder. How did they know? Supposed to be eyewitnesses of this kind of thing, if you're going to be a witness. Anyway, they found her, they say, committing an adultery, and they bring her to Jesus for judgment. They want him to judge her. They say, though, they don't really care so much about her. They're really trying to trap him. They want to judge Jesus. They're attacking him. They're putting him on the spot. They say the law says we all should stone her right now. What do you think? And Jesus is quiet. He ponders for a moment. 
And then he says, okay, anyone who is without sin, cast the first stone. It was very quiet, I think, as all the would-be accusers began to walk away. They had been convicted of their own sin in this plot to trap story of judgment so full of mercy and grace and Jesus can say to her where are your attackers where are your accusers oh they're gone sir he releases her and says go forth and sin no more the gospels were full of stories of judgment with mercy and grace But so often we internalize the story or the idea about judgment, but we forget about the part of mercy and grace. Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time. Burgess has a great phrase I've put in your outline. He says, God's judgment is gracious and God's grace is judging. Right after that, he remembers the great Christian pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who lived during the reign of Hitler, who really struggled with what his Christian life should look like during the reign of the Nazis. And in that struggle, he wrote about grace and talked about cheap grace, where you say you're a follower of Christ, but nothing changes, and costly grace, which changes who you are because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Dr. Burgess writes, grace that is truly of God changes us and calls us into a new way of life. God's judgment is reordering and reorienting a power that gives us confidence to turn to God for help in time of need. Where is God calling you to change? Where might God be calling you to reorder or reorient or align your word with the word of God? Are you ready to trust? Are you ready to trust the God who calls? One of my favorite contemporary Christian hymns or songs is by a group called Casting Crowns. One of their songs came out back in 04. It was called, Who Am I? I want to read you a few of the lyrics because I think they capture kind of poetically what we've been talking about in terms of theological ideas or images for Christ. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth care to know my name? would care to feel my hurt, 
who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever-wandering heart? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading here today and gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Still, you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling. You've told me who I am. I am yours. Who am I that the eyes that see my sin would look on me with love and watch me rise again? Who am I that the voice that calmed the sea would call out through the rain and calm the storm in me? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. You've told me who I am. I am yours. I am yours. The key image I leave with you today is Christ as God's grace, Christ as judge, full of mercy and grace. Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. And thanks be to God.